Good, good worship today, and uh, love to see you guys sing out. It's good to have Sister Tricia back with us from Truth and Peace. She was gone for several weeks and uh, leadership training and working at our National Association meeting, and she is here uh, back with us today. And I know Tricia has said she had a, a great time and learned a lot and grew in the Lord, so we uh, truly are excited for her. It's good to have some old friends of my family, Dennis and Bonnie Jones, with us. They've been here before. Uh, they've been at the National Association meeting, and they'll be traveling back to Greenville, North Carolina. Stopped in to see my mom and dad, and so it's always, always good to see them. Disappointment. Disappointment. I know this morning there are many in this room that are disappointed. Some of you are disappointed in a way that is weighing you down. Disappointment does that. It weighs us down. Uh, and sometimes when disappointment grips our heart, uh, it begins to infect our heart in some ways. Disappointment can. And if you're not careful, disappointment can begin to sour uh, your relationship with other people. And if you're not sensitive to the Holy Spirit, if you're not praying and seeking for the Lord to help you through His Word, if you're not careful, disappointment can even sour your relationship with God himself. It can impair that relationship. It can hamper that relationship and how you interact with God. And I think all of us know that. All of us have had disappointments that have happened and we get so focused on the disappointment. It's not that the disappointment is stronger than Jesus. It's just that we in our weakness in our flesh are focused on that disappointment instead of focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Disappointments come in all stages of life. Maybe you've heard about Freddie. Uh, Freddie was a young 10-year-old boy who had a turtle, and Freddie loved his turtle, loved this turtle. And one day, though, he uh, was playing with his turtle, and he dropped it, dropped his turtle, and smacked right on the ground. And he picked the little turtle up, and it wouldn't move. Turtle wouldn't move at all. Well, this scared the little boy. And he ran to his mother and he said, Mommy, Mommy, little Freddy ran to his mom. And Freddy said, Mom, my turtle will not move. It's died. It's dead. And his mother took his little turtle and she tried to shake the little shell and nothing would happen. And as the mom saw the disappointment, saw the tears in little Freddy's eyes, she said, Freddy, I know you're disappointed, but your turtle is dead. I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to make a special little coffin. We'll get some wood and make a special little coffin for you to bury your turtle. And then we'll go get some ice cream. And we'll get some ice cream to help you help make you feel a little bit better. And then, and then, Freddie, you've always wanted a puppy. You've been after us to get a puppy. We're going to move from a turtle, and we are going to get you a puppy. Little Freddie began to smile as he thought about all those things he was going to get. But just as that moment, just at that moment where Freddie moved from disappointment to smiling, his turtle moved. His turtle moved and the mom's face lit up. And she looked at Freddie and she said, look, Freddie, your turtle is alive. And little Freddie's face went from worse than it was before. And he said, Mom, can we kill that turtle? Because I really want that puppy. Disappointment. We move in life sometimes from disappointment to disappointment. Oh, we could handle one. We could deal with one. But when it's one after another, after another, after another, that can be hard to deal with. 
You know one area where Christians get disappointed? An area where Christians begin to waver? An area in the Christian life that some people find very hard is this. Some Christians, when they give their heart to Jesus, they know He's the Prince of Peace. They know He is the Savior. They know He has come to give peace to men and women. And some people are shocked when they turn to trust in Jesus and instead of peace, they find division. Instead of the peace that they wanted, they find that others are angry at them. They find that at their job or within their family or with their friends, all of a sudden there is division instead of peace. And so some people begin to wonder, they begin to wonder and they begin to say to themselves, they begin to get disappointed and say, if following the Prince of Peace is like this, why did I do this? This isn't what I thought it was going to be. In the Bible, there's a shocking little statement by Jesus that will help you today to understand why when the Prince of Peace comes into your life that that brings division with other people. Why that causes conflict in your family and sometimes with your friends. Why is this? There's a little passage that Jesus gave us, little words he said that help us to understand why it is that when the Prince of Peace comes into your life, that the result of that, yes, will be peace with some people, but it will be division with others. And understanding this, understanding why Jesus said this shocking statement and what it means, when you begin to understand it through the power of the Holy Spirit, as the Spirit illuminates your eyes and your heart to understand the passage we're about to read, it will go a long way to helping you deal with the disappointment that hits you when there is division among other people because of your stand for Christ. So we're looking at shocking statements of Jesus for the next few weeks. We've already seen one where Jesus said, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And we saw the other week when Jesus said this, that the crowds begin to disperse. And they begin to run. And even the disciples said, Jesus, really? Really? And Jesus asked them, he said, will you too be offended at me? And we've seen that shocking statement, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood Today we will see a second shocking statement of Jesus that he came not for peace, but with a sword. So turn to Matthew chapter 10, and let's start in verse 34, and let's read to verse 39, and let's look at one of these statements of Jesus. There's so many of them. Let's look at this statement of Jesus that is so, so shocking that the Prince of Peace would say this. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Jesus said, he's uh, preaching, and he's teaching, and as he preaches and he teaches, he says in verse 34, think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance, or a man against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be, or a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He that loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that takes not his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He that finds his life, the one who is dedicated to just finding his own pursuits, has no time for Jesus or relegates Jesus to some periphery position in the background 
He says of that one, the one that finds his life will lose it. But he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. He that finds his life shall lose it. And he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. I came not to send peace, Jesus said, but a sword. Son against father, daughter against mother, in-law against in-law. A sword Jesus brings to relationships. He says, not peace. How in the world do we reconcile that with the one who in Luke Chapter 6, 27 says, Love your enemies and do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you and pray for them which despitefully use you. How do we reconcile that Jesus? The Jesus who says, Love your enemies and, and treat them a certain way, a way of peace. How do we reconcile the peaceful Jesus with this violent Jesus that we now see who says, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. Here is the deal. And as the Holy Spirit helps you to understand this, and as you see what God's Word is unfolding, it will help you as you deal with this kind of division in your own life. Jesus is not saying in today's text that He brings a sword to intentionally destroy families and friendships. It is not Jesus' intention to set out to destroy families and friendships. His intention is to unify all people through his blood, back to Father God, who is the creator of all of us. That is what he desires. He desires for all of us to have a unity together because we are first unified with God through him. If you are glad Jesus gives salvation to all, say amen. That is his intention. That is what he sets out to do. But Jesus is saying in this text, what he is making clear is that loyalty to him will cause his followers and others to be divided against one another because there are those who do not want the heart to be changed. They do not want their mind to be altered. They do not want their lifestyle to align with the life that God has called them to. And so, although Jesus comes to bring peace, and although he comes to unify all of us, Jesus didn't have to come and bring peace division intentionally because we were already divided our sin had already divided us from God and divided us from one another and even divided us from creation and so the division is there and so Jesus comes to unify but he says I've come to unify but because there are those who will not believe because there are those who would rather stay in rebellion and not be unified back to God because there are those who desire not to be saved but to stay in their sin because of this you will experience division. Because of this, there is a sword that will hamper, uh, that, will, that will hinder, that will cut these relationships. Because there are those who will align with the purposes of God and those who will not. Jesus would know all about this firsthand. Because it was one of his own friends and disciples, Judas, who would betray him. In his last hours. To give context to this prediction of hostility that Jesus gives. That, that, that sons and fathers will be divided because of him. That mothers and daughters will be divided because of him. That in-laws will be against one another. To put this in context, you need to know that Jesus there is quoting almost directly verbatim. Micah chapter 7 verse 6. 
where Micah had said in the Old Testament, son will dishonor father, daughter will rise against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemy, Micah said, a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Now in the Old Testament, broken families were a sign of God's judgment. In the beginning, God created Adam and Eve, and they had children, and they had a family, and this was God's perfect design. And my friends, what a joy it was to be at the hospital Thursday and Friday and to see Greg and to see Sherry and to see Jean and to see those that have married into that family, Sister Laura and Brother Bill, to see all of them not fighting, not bickering, not being hostile to one another, but seeing them unified, trying to figure out, and they really were, what would God want us to do with our Father? What would He desire And what would God want? And to see a family unified was such a blessing because so many times they're not. If you are glad for the family members that love you, say amen. I know my mom and dad love me. I love when they come to see my boys play games or to worship together in church. I love these things because family together is a huge blessing, an important blessing. When families are not unified, It is a sign of the fall. It is a sign of the work of the devil. It is what he does. And so in the Old Testament, when Micah said this, this was a judgment of God upon Israel because they had rebelled. When Micah made that statement that families would be divided, it's because there were those that were choosing, we're not going to worship Yahweh anymore. We're going to worship Baal. We're going to worship these other gods. And so there was fighting even within families in Israel. Because instead of being unified and worshiping the true God, there was division because there were those who said, no, no, I want to do it this way instead of God's way. And so Micah says, he pronounces the judgment of God and says, listen, this is, this is, instead of the family unity that God gives, there will be division. It is the same today. Broken families are a sign of sin in the world. My friends, loyalty can be a beautiful thing. And loyalty to family can be a most beautiful thing. But Jesus says in today's text that what you need to understand that even more than family loyalty is loyalty to me. Even more than loyalty to your friends. Even more than loyalty to your country. Oh, read what he says to Israel. More than any of these things. Jesus says what matters most is your loyalty to me, not your loyalty to your ethnicity, not your loyalty to the town you grew up with, and I love this town, but Jesus says your primary, your most important loyalty before all the others is your loyalty to me. As a minister, I think about this. I don't obsess with it. I really don't. I don't have a, I don't live in fear, but I think often about how different the message that I preach is in the laws that have been passed and the way that our nation is moving and I think more and more the gospel has always been opposed always been opposed to the ways of the world more and more as that is highlighted I think about the price that that may cost one day for my wife for my boys for my church what will it mean to continue to proclaim the whole counsel of God when the world says you are not to do that listen I want to be loyal to Jesus first if you want that say amen But I think about this. When I do, I'm reminded of different heroes of the faith who stood for Jesus. I'm reminded of Martin Niemöller. Show him that picture 
Brother Rick. Brother Rick knows about him. Martin Niemöller there, he was a pastor in Germany. And uh, he wouldn't be exactly like us, but, but he, did, he did embrace the evangelical faith. He did believe that you needed to trust Jesus. And Martin Niemöller, because he trusted Jesus, he early on realized, look, you can't give your loyalty to the Fuhrer, to Hitler, and to Jesus. And as more and more as the Hitler demanded through laws that churches conform in certain ways, Martin Niemöller, over time, he more and more and more began to oppose what Hitler was doing. And he began to do it publicly because, you see, Martin Niemöller was a World War I hero. He was a hero in Germany. And so when he spoke, it wasn't just the church that listened, but it was the whole nation because he was a war hero. And more and more he spoke up and, and spoke out. And finally Hitler threw him in jail. Threw him in jail just for speaking out and saying what the government is doing is wrong. They took him and they threw him in jail. If you are glad in this country, so far as I know, none of us have been thrown in jail yet for proclaiming the truth. If you're thankful for that, say amen. I am. That's one thing I love about my country. But Martin kept speaking out. And as Hitler got more and more power, one day he had Martin Niemöller arrested. Hitler was personally vested in him, in, in seeing him punished. He went and had him arrested and thrown into prison. But Hitler knew this wasn't good. He knew it was a PR disaster because he had thrown this important church man, who was also a national hero, he'd thrown him in jail. And this all of a sudden, people that weren't paying attention started paying attention. And people started saying, whoa, if he'll do that to this guy, what will he do to us? And so Hitler knew he had a problem, so he went to an individual that had embraced the Nazi party who had been a minister friend of Nehemiah's, and he went to him and he said, I want you to go to the prison and I want you to convince Martin to quit criticizing us and I'll let him out of jail. Tell me if he'll stop criticizing what we're doing, we'll let him out of jail. In a very famous moment, this friend went to the prison to see Martin. And he said to Pastor Niemöller, he walked in, and he saw his friend in jail. I mean, a good, upstanding, honest, loyal German citizen in jail. And he walked in, his friend walked in, and just the shock of seeing his friend behind bars, and he very famously said to Martin, he said, Martin, what are you doing behind those bars? To which Pastor Niemöller looked back at him and said, no. The question is, why aren't you behind the bars with me? In life, we have to make decisions about where ultimate loyalty lies. And this is very important that these families are broken or that Jesus will break them. Because when Jesus says, if you're going to be loyal to me, you're going to have to choose sometimes between me and your family. Think about this. Listen now. When Jesus says, you've got to choose me or your family, he's actually making a statement about his deity. He's actually claiming to be God when he tells them, you must choose between me and your family. Because if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, it is obvious that a son or a daughter's obligation and a mother and father's obligation, the most basic, the most foundational obligation you have in, 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 in Jewish society is to your family. It all starts there. And there's only, listen, there's only one obligation in the Jewish family and Jewish societal life that is greater than the family, and that is God. Only God. Only God in the Old Testament could supersede only His law, only His will, 
could supersede your obligation to your mother and father or your mother and father's obligation to you. And the Old Testament makes this clear. Deuteronomy 6, the the family is the foundational part of society. But in Deuteronomy 13, listen to this, the law says this. Deuteronomy 13, listen very closely. Deuteronomy 13, 6, the law says, if your brother or the son of your mother or your son or your daughter or the wife of your bosom or the friend, your close friend, which is as your own soul, if they entice you secretly, saying, let us go and serve other gods, which you have not known, you nor your fathers, namely, if they come to you and they want you to go worship the gods of the people which are round about you, whether they're close to you or far from you, from one end of the earth unto the other. He says it doesn't matter what God they are. If they want you to worship anything other than Yahweh, verse 8, you shall not consent unto him, nor hearken unto him, neither shall your eye pity him. Woo, that's strong. Your own family says don't even pity them. If they come to you and say, come worship these false gods, neither shall you spare, neither you shall you conceal him. This, this is the law now. So we need to be thankful that Jesus shows us uh, a, a, a more perfect way through him how things are to be applied. But under the Old Testament law, you shall surely kill him. The law of God says, if it's your mother or your father or your son or your brother or your sister or your best friend, if they come to you and tell you, let's not worship the true God but let's go worship something else. He says, listen, you shall surely kill him. Your hand shall be first upon him to put him to death. And afterwards, the hands of all people. And you shall stone him with stones that he die, or that she die, because he has sought to turn you away from the Lord your God, which brought, now why would God demand this? He says, because... He has turned you from the God which brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Under the Old Testament, when Micah says that the families are broken, it is a curse upon Israel because they're broken because the nation is chased after false gods. Only God, only God could say to these family members if they try to lead you away, you end their life. If they try to lead you away, do not go along. You stop what they are doing because this is great wickedness. On the Old Testament law, only God could step into the family. Only He could step in and say, listen, don't you do this. Don't you go with this family. If they're trying to put family pressure on you to be obligated this way, only God could step in and say, do not do this. So when Jesus says to them, You will either choose me or your family. It is only God who had a right to say that to the Jewish people. And so when Jesus says, it's either loyalty to me first or loyalty to them first, Jesus is saying, there's no other way. You've got to be loyal to me first because I am your Lord. And he's also saying there, I am very God of God. Oh, if you believe that Jesus deserves loyalty today, say amen. He came to bring peace. He came to set people free, just as the Jews have been freed from bondage in Egypt. But how did the people respond to that freedom? Some of them responded by turning away from the God that had set them free. 
Now in the New Testament, Jesus says, you must understand that your first loyalty is to me. There's so many things we put before Jesus. But Jesus says to us in this morning's text, if it comes down to a boyfriend or a girlfriend and me, you better choose me. If it comes down to a job and your relationship with me, Jesus says you better choose me. If it comes to pursuing wealth, certainly illegally, or me, you better choose me. But if it comes to pursuing wealth in a way that will hurt and hamper and destroy your relationship with me or hurt your family for being close to me, Jesus says you better choose me. In fact, Jesus is saying if any way of your life, any crevice, any attitude, if anything about you is in opposition to me, then you must understand with Jesus it is an all or nothing proposition. In all of Judaism, the highest obligation is to the family except for one, the obligation to God. And Jesus says, I have come not to send peace but a sword. I've come to set a man at variance against his father, the daughter against her mother, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that takes not his cross and follows after me is not worthy of me. Can I tell you something today? The truth of the matter is that Jesus and God's word makes clear in other places is that if you actually were to put even your own family before Jesus, then you're really not loving that family member anymore. Anymore. If you have a family member that you know is in sin, and we'll just use an easy one. I mean, if you know you have a family member uh, that is beginning to do drugs, and you don't step up and say to them, this is wrong. Like Jesus says, don't let your body be controlled by anything but me. If you don't step in and tell them that, you don't really love your kid if you don't try to stop them from, from doing that. You may not be able to stop them. We're not under the Old Testament law. It's a different setup. And praise the Lord for that, but that principle is still there. You're, you need to step in and tell your child, don't do these drugs. But you know, my wife is sad. The counseling business my wife does, their, their parents have just turned the blind eye. It's not a blind eye. They know what the kid's doing, and they just let them go on. We know with drugs, that'd be horrible. The truth is, with any sin, with any sin, if you were to say, well, I love my kid. I'm just going to let him do it. Again, some things child reaches age, you can't control it, and there is a thing about letting them have some choice, but sometimes there are people that you enable your child to do sin. Jesus says, don't do it. Don't do it because it's either me or nothing. Let's just be honest. If this is a hard saying of Jesus, would you say amen? hard for me and my boys aren't old enough to they, they they've they've got the innate sinfulness in them but they're not old enough to do great great wicked things yet as long as we keep them under control and when I think about that Jesus says there's going to come a point where if your child chooses the wicked path you very well may be put in a situation you're going to have to decide where do I stand and what do I do my friends, because, listen to me, look at me, everybody look at me, which you are, thank you, 
because this world is so wicked, it's hard for all of us sometimes to figure out then what do we do when Jesus makes this demand on us. That is why you need to stay in God's Word and you need to stay attuned to His Spirit and you need to listen to good spiritual counsel because when Jesus says a shocking statement like this, it's either me or nothing. To understand how you navigate the issues that come up in your life, you better be attuned into the Word of God or you will have no clue what to do. And you will just drift and you will be at sea. It's hard enough when you are attuned to God's Word sometimes to know. And I'm worried today in our congregation that I believe some of you love that Jesus saved you. And you love what He's done in your life and you love Christian fellowship. But some of you are having a hard time navigating what to do. And it's okay for it to be hard because it is. But some of you are making navigating these relationships even harder because you're not in God's Word. You're not, you're not seeking for the Holy Spirit to help show you and to guide you. My friends, Jesus says when it comes to loyalty to me, it's all or nothing. And Jesus is also saying here that such suffering and dedication will bring mockery and, and, and suffering into your life. He says, look, look at it again real quick as we, as we wind down here. Verse 38, he says, he that takes not his cross, he's saying you got to choose your loyalty. And understand something about this loyalty. If you choose me, you're going to have to take up a cross. Well, what is a cross? It is an instrument of death. He that takes not his cross and follows after me, Jesus says, is not worthy of me. What does the follower of Jesus do? He must take up this cross knowing, knowing that there will be division, that there will be those that will not accept you, that will not embrace you because of your love for Jesus. But this is what a follower of Jesus does. He picks up his own cross and he bears it because Jesus has bared the cross for us. In Jesus' day, and we know this from his own crucifixion, Right, you know, Jesus had to carry his cross part of the way and then he couldn't do it and they got another guy to carry it. That was a practice within Roman society that often they would make the criminal carry his cross beam as an angry, raging mob that would assault them uh, both with words and maybe throw things at them. And a criminal had to walk with his own cross through the angry mob. So when Jesus says you must pick up your cross in following me, in this context of family relationships, he's making it clear that following me, if you're going to live my way, sometimes mean as you follow my Holy Spirit and my will for your life, as you take each step where I want you to go, as you are obedient to every word of God, as you are looking ahead to the promise that God has given, instead of looking from side to side, he says, as you carry that cross, know that even among your own family, there will be those in the crowd that will mock they will ridicule, they will scorn you, they will say, turn back, let it go, but you must carry the cross. My friends, today you say, I cannot carry my cross. I cannot show this level of loyalty. I cannot, I cannot do this. I cannot carry my cross. It is too heavy. This is too great of a burden. This statement is too shocking because who can do such a thing to have even your own family turn against you? Because of your loyalty to Jesus. My friends, we sing today that Jesus is stronger. And we sang today the songs of the change that he has made in our heart. Because I would submit to you this morning that you are right. You are not strong enough to carry this cross alone. You are not strong enough to follow God's will for your life. 
You are not strong enough to step out on faith and do what he wants you to do in this world. But my friend, you do not do it alone because Jesus carried the cross of all crosses. And so my friend today, Jesus does not tell you to pick up a stone and kill one of your relatives who is out of God's will. He has taken that burden away. Oh, you still must stand for right. But you do not pick this stone and throw it anymore. Jesus has applied this in a different way. What he says now to you is not that you pick up a stone and kill, but that you pick up a cross and let him pick you up. And as you walk, he will get you from the beginning of that angry crowd to the end of that crowd. And my friends, it was a blessing. Listen to me, I'll try not to repeat too much, but I need to say this in a pastoral way. Thursday, when I got to that hospital and I saw Brother Troy's broken body, I mean, I saw it. It's the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. Brother Anthony can tell you the same thing. He saw it. it. It was horrible. When I walked in and looked at it, not being a member of the family, I immediately started praying to the Lord, Lord, please take him home. Please take him home because the Troy I know would never want to come back to what this is going to mean for him. Lord, please take him home. But you know why I could pray that for Brother Troy, a prayer that there are other people I've been in a hospital that I could never pray that for? You know why I could pray it for Troy? Because I knew that Troy had trusted in Jesus and I knew Jesus had promised I'll pick him up and I'll take him right home where he needs to be. Right there. And there are some of you that I love today. And I consider you my friend. And there's some of you, I think, in this room that in an earthly sense, that if you could do anything for me, I believe you would. I, there are some of you in this room that I know you would do anything. But I'm sad today because I know that if it had been your body there instead of Troy's, that I could not pray to God, take him home. I'd be praying, Lord, please bring him back no matter the pain so they can have one more chance to trust you. Nobody knew. Nobody knew at the end of last Sunday that Troy would go home and that by the end of the night his life would be totally different and before the next Sunday that he would be gone. But I believe best as we can know, best as we can know, I believe that Jesus got him home. Jesus says, carry your cross and then later in the New Testament, he shows us you can carry this cross because I have carried the cross and I will carry you with the power of my spirit and my word as well. My friend, if there is sin in your life, if there are other loyalties in your life, do not wait. Bend that knee to Jesus today. Come to the altar and uses an opportunity today to say to Jesus, Lord, I'm wrestling with this, I'm struggling with this, I'm battling with this. Lord, this other thing is calling for my loyalty. Jesus could have used a lot of things. You know why he used family in that story? Again, because like I said, in the Jewish society, there was no greater relationship than family relationship except your ob obligation to God. So he used the biggest thing. 
For you it may be something different today, but I'll tell you this, it's still the same. You better bring that thing to Jesus, and you better say to Jesus today, Jesus, help my unbelieving heart. Jesus, help my struggling heart. Lord, help my weakness. And he says today that he will help you. Listen, if you believe Jesus can help you be loyal, say amen. Then take it to him. And today, if you don't know him, you haven't trusted him, please, please, confess your sin and name him as the Lord of Lord over your life and you will be saved and he will give you hope. Would you stand with me this morning?